0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Today, I am Darren Hefty, along with my brother, Brian. We're going to be talking about strip tillage on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD.
1: Yeah, with strip till, it is kind of interesting. There are a lot more people who are considering doing this. Part of the reason why is to hopefully uh, reduce tillage a little bit as compared to conventional till and build soil organic matter another reason is to get the soil a little bit warmer in strips if you've been no-tilling like for us on our farm um, we used to have about half our ground in no-till and then about I'm gonna say almost 15 years ago we switched that half to strip till and it the, the number one thing for us is way warmer seedbed like seven degrees warmer so that was a big deal because we're in a very cold area of the United States. The other thing for us was being able to place fertility down deep in the soil. We like putting a lot of our fertilizer down eight inches, 10 inches deep with that strip till machine. And we've run a number of different ones over the years. Uh, we're doing a lot of work with uh, environmental tillage systems right now, the Soil Warrior. And we really like that very heavy duty because we farm quite a few acres. And, uh, you know, occasionally you might hit a rock, occasionally uh, you've got to be pulling up a hill and there's a lot of stress on the machine and all that. So anyway, I I would just say we really like putting that fertilizer deep. When we were in no-till, we found major nutrient stratification issues. And we just weren't getting our roots down deep enough, especially in a dry year like this year, we could see the strip till really shining compared to no till. And in some cases, even conventional till Uh, the conventional till you don't conserve as much water. And over time, you don't build the soil organic matter like you can in strip till. There are also a lot of people now talking about carbon credits and everything and going to strip-till. So anyway, lots of interest in that. We're going to talk about that throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag.
2: It's the mailbag!
0: All right, Brian. Got a lot of questions here. I got a little feedback, too. Gary said, hey, I sent you some information about uh less time consuming way to sample one acre grids and another company that I'm working with Gary of course from Saskatchewan if I didn't mention that to start with hey Gary thank you really appreciate that we'll we'll check that out and and see what we think of that. I uh, get this one from Donna uh, who said, Planet on coming to your Ag PhD field day, but wondering about this Molly B performance there. Is it a dance? Do we need tickets for it or is that all free too?
1: <laughs> no, nope, that's all free too. So Molly B is going to play, I think, three different times during the day um, at the Ag PhD field day. And what we do for our field day is a little bit different. So don't be thinking this is going to be some city event. All right. We start at 7 a.m. So this is a rural, a farm event. So we start early in the morning when usually, and hopefully it'll be that, that way this year, usually the weather's beautiful. But uh, but anyway, we go 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. The Egg PhD field day is always just a one-day event. We really encourage you come early because like I say, most of the time it is beautiful. There aren't quite as many people right away at seven or eight in the morning, and uh, and you can get around and take a look at some of our different plots that we have. And 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 I would say too, with uh, with the field day, it's not just oh, I'm looking at a field. We have a whole bunch of different exhibitors there. We've got a lot of great guest speakers, some of the top farmers in the country there to speak to you. Darren and I will give you a little tour throughout the day of our research plots. Uh, Darren and I will be speaking on a number of different things. We'll do a live Ag PhD radio show uh, we will have Rob Sharkey there doing a radio show. We've got a lot of great entertainment for you as well. Uh, Molly B. Uh, was mentioned, but uh, we're going to have an air show around noon. Uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's all free. We put this on each year, other than last year, of course, with COVID. But uh, we put this on each year to say thanks to you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching us on Ag PhD TV. So it's right on our home farm. Just go to agphd.com for more information.
0: All right, got a question from Adam here, and he said, I'm doing a myco-apply endoprime trial, and I sent you a couple plant tissue tests here. And what I'm wondering is... It looks like there's a higher concentration of phosphorus on the check versus on the RISA or on the uh Michael apply endoprime. Do you see do you think there's something with that? Do you think that's a significant enough difference between the two? My corn's at V six and we're in a D three drought here in South Central North Dakota. Just wonder if you've used MycoApply, what do you
1: expect and is there anything else in these tests that you notice? Okay. So let me first say this. Whenever you are testing something new, especially a lot of these biologicals, it is a good idea to do some plant tissue analysis. But when we're only taking one sample, we only have one day's worth of information out of the entire growing season. So let's say our growing season is 150 days. We're looking at one day here. So what we don't know is were the levels higher in the endo, microapply endo prime earlier in the season. And really, quite frankly, all that matters is yield at the end of the year. So this is where Darren and I, we, we kind of, I'm not going to really say debate about this quite a bit, but I just say, I always say, look, our, our, our focus is yield. And I don't, I really don't care about anything else other than yield. And Darren will always say, well, you do care about, you know, tissue tests and how the roots look and everything else. And I Okay, Yes. A lot of times we can take, and we usually take tissue samples every week throughout the growing season. Not in every field or anything else, but certainly where we're doing tests. And then we will also look at roots. We will look at the plants above ground. We even started now taking temperatures in plants. And that's one of the things I think I was talking about the other day where we've got this uh, newer biological product that we're working with where the, the corn's five degrees cooler right now. Seriously, where we've used that product. I mean, so when we are out and it's 95 degrees um, and the corn's suffering, rolled up, everything else, boy, if we can be five degrees cooler, is that a big deal? It probably is. Again, it's got to lead to yield. Okay, but anyway, in terms of what we see out of this, there's nothing that's super significant for a difference in these tissue tests. So it literally could have just been some of the plants you pulled, but also I'm just curious, how would it have been a week ago? How would it have been two weeks ago? How will it be a week from now? And and so on. So. I don't think i get too worried about it now. What we usually do is just collect all the data, and then when we get to the end of the season, then we kind of look back and go, oh, here's probably why it yielded more. Look at, look at this on these particular weeks.
0: Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we're going to talk about strip tillage
1: right after this. When it comes to weed control our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist weed control system. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover
3: better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
4: In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Dicon IGR and Sentinel EC Insecticide, or Dicon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com.
0: Join us for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. We're putting on a full day that you won't want to miss. Yield champs will share about raising yields and profits. Industry experts will discuss drainage law, estate planning, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you dozens of research plots and have equipment running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day. Register now at agphd.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. We're talking about strip tillage, but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And I, I thought about strip tillage and probably the biggest downside for, for me, at least for what I see for our farm, is it takes time and then i see we got chad henderson on down in alabama and i think you know here's a racer he doesn't have time for strip tillage chad how how in the world could you possibly do strip tillage you can't do it at like 50 miles an hour or something
5: yeah no 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 i mean you know but you have to figure out that the strip till bar pays for the race car Okay.
0: Well there you go. You got <laughs> gotta pay the bills. That's good. <laughs>
5: gotta pay the bills. Gotta so, pay the bills.
0: Okay, so you say that it pays for it. So how does it pay for it on your farm? Do you do you like the fertility placement, the seedbed management? What's been working for you?
5: Well, you know, I went at this thing with a whole nother demeanor to it. You know, we're down here and we're having a lot of pressure from from the outside elements such as industry. You know, we're, we're losing ground as far as industry, and, you know, I've built up ground, and we're building ground over the years, and then it's, you know, well, Chad, you know, we, we've sold our farm, you know, to industry, and, you know, and and you can't blame them for that at the price they're getting, so we can take the strip teal and and not, you know, and we can really hone in and, and, and get our cost of fertility down with it.
0: You know, that's one thing that we look at, too, and we, we've got farm ground that we own and farm ground that we rent and on ground that we aren't sure we're going to be farming a few years from now. It's pretty tough to spend a lot of money building up uh, all the land, but if we can concentrate our nutrients right around that crop, that's pretty good. What do you, what do you see? So in Alabama, you've got a, a little different climate than we've got. Uh, are you always planting on the same strips? Or are you moving those strips around? How do you guys do it?
5: Well that's right now what what we've been doing is we're we're moving the strips around because we're on a and, and remember I'm just two years into this so i'm a I'm a, a rookie strip tiller and I'm learning what do's and, and the don'ts of it and so we we're we're moving the strips around because we run on a wheat bean rotation and so we can you know we'll have our corn and then we follow that with wheat and beans as a double crop so then we come back again with corn so we're strip tilling in in bean stubble wheat beans double from the year before
0: okay okay
5: so we're, we're three years in the first time we done it we run a deep shank an Orthman, one tripper in the spring and i didn't like that as well i mean it done a great job but in my soil with my clay i had a lot of clods so that was but this year was able to do it in the fall and we really like the fall strip tilling like it's supposed to be done you know and and it, it really done a nice job
0: all right so as you're doing this who runs the strip till rig for your farm <laughs> me
5: we, it's, it's me or one of my other guys running but whoever's gonna run the planter needs to be running a strip till bar we did figure that out
0: yeah i think that's one of the tips that, that we got too just you're not going to be happy when you get out there to plant they're <laughs> going to do it just the way you'd want it so you kind of got to yeah, do that job yeah, yourself whether to
5: put, and, and another thing is we're trying to figure out whether to, we have in rows on our farm you know turn rows and, and we're trying to figure out how to do that as well you know, do you do you turn rows or do you just work your turn rows up, run around it with a dry blend, or what What do you think on end rows?
0: Yeah. Yeah, everybody's got different <laughs> opinions on that. And yep. and the other thing yep. is is highly erodible ground and, and how you're going to do that. Do you have hills? Do you have any issues like that where you're at, Chad, or are most of these fields fairly flat?
5: Well, they're fairly – they have a gentle roll to them. They're not flat, but they'll have a gentle roll to them. And what we worry about is coming off – you know, we're trying to strip till across terraces. Now, I don't know many people that strip till across terraces but so we we have terraces to keep from eroding you know so what we've been doing is just picking the strip till bar up in the terrace and in that water part and picking it up and we're going and just blow the fertilizer out on top of the ground and let it be what it'll be you know and then set it down on the other side of the terrace because we're scared of getting a water running off the back side of the terrace effect and running down that strip right
0: Right. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. It's not, it's not simple. It's just like everything yeah. else in farming. If it was really easy, everybody would do it. It takes, takes go. some learning. There's no doubt. Well, a couple and, of years into it, you're already figuring some of these it. things. Oh, go ahead, Chad.
5: Yeah. I'm sorry. And every field's not made for it. You right, know what I mean? Right. Some fields are just hard to do.
0: Well, for only being a couple of years into this thing, uh, it sounds like you're already learning some of those key lessons, Chad. <laughs>
5: Well, I've had a lot of good teachers, you know. I listen to Ag PhD, and it helps a lot.
0: <laughs> oh, well, thanks. I appreciate <laughs> that. Well, hey, looking forward to seeing you here later this month at the the Ag PhD yes. Field Day. Want to want to compare yes, some notes there too. So, Chad, good luck to you. Yes, Hopefully, uh, yes, good sir. weather yes. keeps let's, coming let's, your way.
5: Let's talk about how much fertilizer to put out at what time. Because I learned that alone. I learned that pretty quick. How much you put out in the spring, and how much can you put out in the fall? So it
6: makes a difference.
0: <laughs> you bet. Absolutely. You're listening to Chad uh, Henderson here down in Alabama. Chad, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks,
5: guys. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Uh, let's head out to Wyoming. Got Chris with us right now. Now, Chris, uh, I want to hear about the soybeans. I know we're talking strip tillage today, but also want to hear about that soybean crop and what you're learning this year. How are you doing?
7: So good. How are you?
0: Good. Good. Okay. So uh, we got strip till. We got soybeans. Where do you want to start?
7: Uh, we can start with the soybeans. Honestly, it's one of our trials, so we're just trying a little bit of something different. We we grow a lot of edible beans here in southeast Wyoming, and so we've just really struggled with weed control. And we got a couple of guys that we know, uh, just across the border in Nebraska, have been trying some soybeans, and so we've kind of been watching that. So we're trying that ourselves this year. So honestly, they look really good. You know, they're they the weed control is great and. So oh, we're excited to see what happens the rest of the year, but uh, something a little bit different to our elevation and the pH of the soil. But they look pretty good right now,
0: so That's we're excited awesome. to try something different. Yeah, well, it's it's tough being the first guy to do things in an area. I know that for sure, and uh, it's good to hear things are going good. So at least people aren't giving you such a hard time.
7: No, so, I don't know. It's fun. To, it's fun to watch them. I know several guys want. We want to come see them. We want to come see them. So. We'll see how it goes the rest of the year. But, you know, my dad's been farming. He's He's been farming for 50-plus years, and he was excited to try something different. So, I mean, we're giving it a go to see
0: what happens. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, strip till's our topic of the day. Talk to us a little bit about strip-till. Now, you're in Wyoming, not an area known for excessive rainfall, so certainly irrigation plays into some of these decisions you make, too. What do you think about strip-till, and what difference has that made for you?
7: for sure strip till has helped us tremendously because it is so dry the rains that we do get it makes that like a rain bucket and we can kind of store that water up without compaction and when we do get a a rain or something it helps to allow those roots to, to sit down in there and even root down but it gives it a better area to really just to take hold you know we've had so this year with our irrigation our water the water supply in the mountains was way down and so We have about half of what we had of of a run in 2020, and so we're having to get by with what we can, and it's 103 again today, and the corn still looks really good. The edible beans look all right. The soybeans look good because they're all tapped into moisture from the strip till, so we've been able to provide that ahead of time. We've had about an inch and a half of rain probably since the first of June, and you know it's been hot at times. A couple weeks ago, we were a little cooler than normal, but... It hasn't been wet by any means, so it no. just helps us to, to power to, to allow those roots to go down and help themselves out when we just can't keep everything wet.
0: Now I know you mentioned uh, you got other farmers coming to look at soybeans. I'd assume other farmers over the years now have come to look at your strip tillage and some of the other practices you're doing. Are you seeing that becoming more popular in your area? What do other farmers think when they see it?
7: Oh, for sure. I mean, the schlegel manufacturing is literally right right next to us and so we've been able to kind of work with them with some of their new stuff you know and the people in our area i bet you close to three quarters of the people are using some sort of strip till and you know they we've just found that they've we found ways to make it work with flood irrigation obviously pivot irrigation that works but you know that was one of our holdups originally been able to still make a ditch and have trash out there we've been able to kind of figure that out and and you know people are we we apply nutrients with it and we know the planter ride's going to be way better. You only get one chance to plant, and we see how smooth the planter works. And I did the precision planning flag test this year, and we did it in three different places, and all that seed was up in two days. So, I mean, wow. that just perver- proved what we were trying to do was working. But it's all about the planter ride, and that's the part how we're able to you know, make that planter work better is through the strip tilt.
0: Yeah, a lot of lessons to learn along the way, and certainly it's not like day one, everything goes perfect. But we're talking with Chris out in Wyoming, somebody that, that uh, really looks closely at what's going on with the crop and learns from that. Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here the rest of the season. Stay tuned. We'll talk more strip-till right after this.
5: Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 Herbicide System. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at
4: pentair.com slash hypro. Get an extra semi load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from
2: Farmshop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad spectrum control and a long lasting protective residual tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Maintaining your crops
0: is as important
2: now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can
0: help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action,
2: and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn
0: more. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live shark farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. When it comes to crop disease, the longer you wait, the more damage
2: you do. Stop the clock on crop disease with DuPont Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one for healthier corn, soybean, or wheat crop that can deliver higher yield potential and increased revenue per acre. For more information, visit ApproachPrima.Corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you have an agronomic question or you'd like to join the discussion, we're talking strip tillage today. It's one of the methods that that we use on our farm. We don't do everything with strip tillage, but uh, we've certainly enjoyed some of the benefits that strip tillage has provided for us. Let's head out to Northwest Ohio here. We've got Shane on with us right now. Shane, I know you like strip tillage. How's it going out there?
3: Oh, it's going good. How are you guys this afternoon?
0: Good, good. All right, what kind of growing season are you getting, and and what are you seeing out in the fields?
3: Um, Well, I don't want to be one to brag, but uh, we've had favorable rains this year. Um, Growing conditions have been really, really good to us this year.
0: Oh, that's good. I'm glad somebody's getting some good, good conditions and, and things are going well. And you know what? It's an it's a year that we can profit from it too. So talk to us about the strip till. Do you do that in the fall? Do you do it in the spring? You just keep going until it's done? How, how do you do it?
3: So a typical year we're doing it in the fall. Um, we've had a couple 2000 and twelve I believe we did it in the spring, but uh yeah, we like to do it in the fall. Um, running about that eight and a half, nine inch depth with a shank culture, or with a shank, not a cultor, And uh applying our P and K at the same time variable rate.
0: Okay. And do you still do some custom work too?
3: Yeah. Yeah A uh, majority of what we do is or what I do is custom. We run we try to run a hundred percent of our corn ground in strips unless we have tiled that year and we need to work down some some tile lines or something like that which we've got two fields this year uh we'll have a good comparison that are corn uh with worked conventionally worked fields versus uh the rest of it's all strips so it should be a pretty good test this year to see you know what's going on there
0: well, as Brian would probably say if he jumps on there that just keep going on that tiling, that's fantastic too. So it's a one year problem with those those uh where the tie lines ran to get that worked back in. So no no big deal there. Definitely worth it. Okay, so you mentioned putting P and K down. Do you have anybody ask you about micros or is that something that, that you could even put down?
3: Uh so if we did micros it would have to be in a blend. Oh uh, we're not set up right now for um a micro tank or anything like that so typically i'm not running micros some guys might have their fertilizer delivered um with a slightly different uh blend of it okay. uh, typically i'm only carrying about you know two to three hundred pounds from field to field um so it's not it doesn't take that long to work out the old product and get a new micro in there if we are
0: sure Sure. Now you mentioned a shank. Uh, talk to us about that. Why did you choose to go with the shank and what's your experience been?
3: Um, so we're, we're running shank up here in Northwest Ohio, but typically where I'm at, it's a, it's a hard clay. So we're trying to get a good fracture down low. Um, we're running the Orthman and uh, it does take a lot of horsepower, but we see it a very big benefit from that. Um, I do have some coulters that I can replace in that shank position with the Orthman, what they call their spring coulter. And uh, uh, we have too much clay, and I see pinching right in the middle of the row between the two discs. The discs are too close with that setup. And so we don't get the fracturing and the flinging of the dirt. We basically just kind of smoosh it together and make it tighter. Everything between the outside colders and then the inside shank colders gets worked up beautifully. But right where we're going to plant that seed is extremely tight. And I don't like that. Um, I mean, you basically have no work dirt. It's no tilling into that little strip right there, really. So. Yeah, and I don't have any experience with a soil warrior culture or something like that. Um, we've just, since '07 we started with the Orthman and it's worked phenomenally, and we just keep plugging away with it.
0: Yeah, I, I like that you you made very detailed um observations there about how that's working. And I know if we talk to farmers in other parts of the country, they they would say, what, what are you talking about? Those cultures working great for me and the shank never works. And just knowing what your soil is and going out there doing some digging and just observations. Here you go. You've got, what, almost 14 years of this. So that's, that's pretty good amount of experience to make some good decisions. So we're talking to Shane here in Northwest Ohio about strip-tail. Shane, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I know you've always been generous with your time. Good luck. Hopefully the the year finishes out well for you and you can cash in on this awesome crop.
3: Hey, I appreciate it. It's been nice talking with you. And any guys, anytime you guys want to know anything else, feel free to call.
0: All right. Sounds great. Thanks, Shane. Uh, let's head over to Wisconsin. Now, Shane had mentioned he hasn't used the Soil Warrior setup, but Ross has. Ross, how are you doing? good. All right. So are you using coulters or what do you, what do you use in your soil warrior machine?
4: So we're running the X row unit. We are running coulters. Um, it's kind of a twin coulter. They're staggered a little bit. Um, so the X can go with the deep cog. That's uh, kind of soil warriors, deep till option, kind of a fall compaction type solution. And then they have in the spring, you convert it over to the, the twin shallows we'd call it. And, um, uh, that's what we're running. We we used to run the deep cog in the fall, and um, for a few years. And the last about three years, we just leave the shallows on all the time. We went away from the deep cogs, and uh, that's what we run all the time.
0: All right. When you're out doing the the tillage, what do you find to be the biggest challenges for you? Is it residue? Is it soil moisture? what What makes it toughest for you to get the job done right?
4: Well, it can be several, as you can imagine. So um, residue is obviously a big one, especially with corn on corn. You know, that's obviously the hardest. When we do corn on corn, we're doing a fall pass uh, 15 inches off the old row. And then we've always, with our corn on corn, come back and freshen in the spring. You just get some residue blowing. And it just seems with corn on corn, there's so many challenges already that just that extra pass to kind of solidify that you got a good seed bed has always seemed worth it um, you know, soil moisture is obviously a challenge. It, um, if you get working it a little bit wet, especially in the spring, you you don't want to let those strips dry out too much. If, especially if you've got like a little bit of chunkiness in your soil, you know, you let that go too long and those chunks can kind of turn into rocks and that can really be a challenge to work with. So it's, it's no different than any other kind of tillage. I mean, the same rules all apply, but you're just kind of doing it in a little bit of a different way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're exactly right. You just got to be observant to what's going on out in the field. So are there some crops you would say benefit more with the strip till on your farm or, or what are or some soil types that benefit more? What have you found?
4: So it seems like for us on the really good, like the really perfect ground, the nice black dirt, We're definitely maintaining yields and probably going up a little bit, but half of our ground is a little bit more marginal where, you know, you just, you don't have so many wonderful soil qualities there to start with. And those are the places where it seems like yields really jump up, you know, our lower half, I think we've increased production probably more than our absolute prime dirt. So in terms of yield, that's kind of what, what we had seen. What was the question you asked right before that?
0: Uh, just if it, there are any crops that are different. Now, you mentioned marginal marginal soil seemed to seem to work a little bit better. You saw more of a difference there, and that, that makes a lot of sense. When everything is good out in a field, it, it's probably not going to make a whole lot of difference what you do. But, but when you get some right. tough ground that struggles, this, this could give you a, a leap forward. And, you know, what about crops, too? Is there one crop that you say, man, I would really love this particular crop more in this strip-till system?
4: So we do, we're all strip-till corn and beans. Um, Everybody kind of leans towards the corn. You know, a lot of people seem to strip-till corn, no-till beans. Um, We've seen, I think the corn, visually, you can definitely tell a bigger difference from the corn. I think your yield would be a, a bigger contrast there. We're getting three to five bushel on average probably closer to five and you know you'll see spots that are 10 of course but there's some that there's no difference so we're doing everything a big part of us doing the beans our corn stalks going into beans is that you know we, we've just got that machine so it seems kind of silly to a lot of people are doing a vertical till pass and then broadcasting fertilizer well if we can use that machine that we already have Excellent. as well as um Gives us some options, you know. There's there's some winters where you'll you'll have a fall strip in in corn stalks and you might decide to go corn on corn or something like that. Sure, sure. So those are just kind of some of the basic reasons. But we've done it on soybeans, and especially now with this trend of planting beans ultra early.
0: Oh yes. Compared the, to no the,
4: till, there's just no comparison. Getting out there and getting it in.
0: Yep, totally agree. Thanks, Ross. We really appreciate having you on. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures? heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from
2: New Farm, here to help. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm,
0: Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live shark farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about strip tillage, but of course, we'll take your calls and agronomic questions too at 44 Ag PhD. Got Joel with us right now up in Wisconsin. Wanted to talk a little strip till. Joel, how you doing?
6: Great hey guys. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, I wanted to call and let you guys know uh, I took a little bit of a different take on strip tilling up here in Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, I live in North Central Wisconsin. And our springs are very cool, so they uh, got brother who lives out in Wyoming, and we kind of copied what they were doing out there, kind of where, where Chris called in from uh, Schlegel. Yep. And what we did in Wisconsin, we brought back uh, uh, the tilling plant. So what we did is we mounted a strip tiller in front of our planter uh, with a shank, and we've been, since 2000, uh, doing a one-pass strip till and plant all in one pass, corn and soybeans, and we alternate every year from between soybeans and corn um moving our strip over in between the rows obviously uh, but we've seen great results with that and the reason we did that is because our ground would never warm up and when we plant with no-till you know it was so cold and we had such an emergent problem and since we've been doing this since 2010 it's made a world of difference especially if you take temperature uh, in the strip versus where we didn't strip it's uh obviously a lot warmer after we go through with the planter and the strip dealer. So we've had great success up here in north central Wisconsin doing that. So, I that's just want to pass that along Yeah, today.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I know you take, uh, all right, here's what we're doing. We're doing reduced till already, but man, the ground is cold and we're a long ways north and you guys are even further north than we are. What do you think of that shank out in front? Now, I've heard a few guys talk about, man, I'm nervous about the shank in the spring. Do you run into any clay soils? Do you have trouble with that at all? Are there some times where you run with a coulter well, instead?
6: No, so <laughs> that's kind of funny is because we love it on the clay because what happens is when we go through it, before when we were doing some conventional tillage on that clay, it would dry out and then we'd come out a planter and we'd all these dried clumps. Well, what we find is we got our planter set up, obviously, to plant in wet soil. You have to have your planter set up that way. You have, we have shlagos on the back and uh, special gauge wheels, wheel scrapers, all that kind of stuff because we're going into wet soil, obviously. But when we go across that clay, and then the planter comes through, we get a great seed bed, and it covers that, that seed up perfectly, especially in those clay knolls. That's what we've been experiencing. But you've got to have the planter set up correctly to have sure. that work. So, but that's, And we're putting a starter on with the planter, and then we also uh, put fertilizer below the seed bed as well with the shank.
0: So. Oh, I love that. I love dropping that fertilizer right below. I think that's a fantastic way to do it. Okay, tell us about your crop, Joel. We've been getting calls out of Wisconsin, and for the most part, it's been pretty good. Pretty good stuff, other than maybe some sandy dryland spots. But what's your crop looking like this year?
6: It's looking great. We've had a, we're like probably Chris from Wyoming about two weeks ago, and we've gotten eight inches of rain in a week. So. We've <laughs> gotten maybe a little bit too much rain, and in fact, I have a question, for you guys. Some of the lowland, not only ours but um, other field neighbors' fields, we've noticed the soybeans on the lower ground they're turning yellow in those low spots. Yep. And is that a magnesium deficiency, or what is that? Is there something we can do? To is there something I can foliar feed, or to help that along, or is that in my?
1: Yeah, so if we're seeing yellowing in low spots, I mean, my first initial thought is it's either one of two things. One, excess moisture, and the only way you're going to solve that long-term is tile. And two, the other thing would be iron deficiency chlorosis. We are seeing a lot of IDC this year. So if, if, let's say you have iron deficiency chlorosis, let's just assume that it's that. You can go out and foliar feed with iron. And you can green those plants up right away. So if it's a visual thing, and let's say your landlords, or maybe it's your wife, is driving past that field every day, and you want those people to think you are the greatest farmer ever, then I'd probably go spray the iron. Is it going to pay for you economically in terms of yield? Probably not. So what we've, what we've found is... Well, first of all, we'd really encourage you or really anybody listening today, if you've got problem areas and fields, the first thing we want you to do is go out and take a look at it and see if you can figure it out. But along with that, do a soil test. And then if you want to send us the results of the soil test, we'd be more than happy to look at those. And then we can maybe identify it a little bit further. On top of that, take some plant tissue samples and send those in for analysis. Now, the reason why we also want you to do a soil test in addition to the plant tissue test is because if it's iron deficiency chlorosis, for example, your plant may have enough iron in it, but the problem is it won't be in the right form. So it can be in the, if it's in the ferric form of iron, that's where we see iron deficiency chlorosis. When it's in the ferrous form of iron, then everything is good. Well, both of those are going to show up on your tissue test. So you'll see yellow beans, you'll do a tissue test and you'll go, oh, I I don't have a problem with iron deficiency chlorosis because the test says I have enough. Then you do the soil test, and you see you have high pH soil, and then right away we're going to tell you, yeah, you probably have an iron deficiency chlorosis issue. So, anyway, I, I'm just throwing a few things out at you. I don't think it probably is magnesium or manganese or whatever. I I would guess it's either iron deficiency chlorosis or I've got my, my plant roots are just flat out in too much water. Probably what it is, too much water. Well, hopefully these prices stay open and allow well us to get some tile. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, and, you know, one of the things, too, since since you bring that up, prices come up and put some tile on the ground. I, I, as farmers, we often think about one-year kind of deals. Oh, I'm trying to get through this year. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. And don't get me wrong. I mean, we can't spend ourselves. We don't want to spend ourselves into bankruptcy. That would be horrible. But... I often think about the long-term, especially as I get older. I think about, all right, well, how about the next generation? And if I got a problem now, I do want to fix it for the next generation. So let's say it's my kid or Darren's kid or somebody who's farming the ground. I would like them to go, boy, I'm glad those old guys fixed this problem for me so I don't have any issues out there. We got tile in the ground. We we built up fertility. We built up soil organic matter. So believe me, I've had to be the guy who's written a lot of checks for tile and fertilizer and everything else over the years. And it's hard to write that check sometimes. But it does make it at least a little bit easier when I think, okay, well, at least I'm solving this problem for the long term. This isn't a one-year fix. This is a 30 to 50-year fix fix, and it makes you at least feel a little bit better.
6: Right,
1: right. All right.
6: Well, thanks, welcome. Do I have time? To- sure, Gab. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, uh, hey, fungicide. We're, we're losing you, Joel, here. Hang on for us just a second. Uh, Janelle, see if you can get him back on there in uh, his question about fungicide. So... We, we've been talking on the show today about strip-till. If you've got any questions on that or, or anything else, quite frankly, uh, we are open to taking your call. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. There's a lot of stuff going on out in the countryside right now. Uh, a lot of insects starting to show up, starting to see a few disease issues. All right, I think we got Joel back now. All right, Joel, what was your question on fungicide?
6: fungicides. Sometimes do you have fungicides on your beans, just once or you go multiple times or
1: Okay. Uh, we absolutely are spraying one time for sure, at a minimum because we have found that pays over the years and we're usually out there spraying like this year we already sprayed an insecticide which also served as a miticide we sprayed some foliar fertilizer and we used a biological product too so we were out there spraying some other stuff anyway and then it doesn't cost much to throw the fungicide in but we have seen fungicides pay for guys who want to do it in one shot at that kind of R2, R3 timing, I usually tell guys look as soon as you start seeing just a few pods in your field that's the time to be spraying fungicide if you want to try one shot. If you're after white mold, so in the wetter years, we have a lot of white mold issues, especially in a lot of our low grounds. You're just bringing up low grounds. Even where we have it well-drained, we still have some white mold problems. So in those areas, then we're spraying at least twice, if not even three times. We'll go out there right away as soon as flowering happens. Then we spray about three weeks after that and about three weeks after that just to keep that white mold down because white mold has literally taken 60 to 80 bushels of our yield in the past on soybeans. And you go, yeah, I can afford a little bit of fungicide for that kind of cost. So anyway, uh, I would say on a drier year like this one, we're probably only going to do one shot on most of our acres. Our very best acres is stuff that's still looking good, maybe in some wetter areas, uh, we'll probably spray twice.
0: Gotcha. Well, thanks,
1: guys. You bet. Thanks for the call, Joel. Appreciate it.
0: Going to dive into the Ag PhD mailbag when we get back
1: right after this.
0: Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live shark farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register.
1: Your soil, your season, your edge, Make the new 3-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. That same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge 3-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking a little about strip tillage. We've been doing an extensive amount of strip till on our farm for about 15, 18 years now, something like that. So we've run a whole bunch of different machines, coulter, shank, uh, we've run both. We have done stuff in the spring, we've done it in the fall. We've really spent a lot of time analyzing all these things. And so here are the most common questions I get. One, should I do it in the spring or the fall? I'm always going to tell you, if you can, get it done in the fall so you you will have a warmer and drier seedbed in the spring and just flat out so the work gets done. Now, if you're going to put nitrogen out, yeah, you probably want to wait till spring. But typically for us, we're just putting out P and K and sometimes micronutrients. Uh, The Next question is shank versus coulter. I like the shank to go deep. Most of the time when we're running in the fall, we like going deep down to the 8, 10-inch kind of range so we can get our fertilizer down deep. Because we built up our top few inches of soil pretty well. We're trying to get the lower part built up now and lead the roots down. And here's the other advantage to going real deep that you might not have thought about. There's no compaction down to the bottom of however deep you strip till. Nothing. So if you're down to 10 inches, you're, if you go evaluate it right away in the spring, your your plant may be an inch or two tall and you might have roots all the way down to 10 inches already. Seriously, that's what we end up finding. So I like going deep, I like going with a shank and I like doing it in the fall. Now we've also run coulters and I don't have any problem with coulters. You can you can certainly use a coulter. It's just the setup's a little different and you got to adjust. Uh, but we will typically tell you, hey, if you're gonna if you're going to go in the spring, our our concern with the shank and going deep is that look, if I'm gonna try to go deep, by the time it gets dry enough to go deep and I don't create a whole bunch of sidewall compaction, um, I probably could have been planting a week or two before that, and I want nothing to delay my planting. I want to plant as early as I possibly can, with both corn and soybeans, on our farm. So we don't use the shank our shank machine deep in the spring. What we will do usually is switch over to coulters and then run shallow and just get over it as fast as we can in the spring if we have to do some stuff in the spring. Uh, One of the biggest concerns people have is the amount of time it takes, but I would say this, you're only making one trip. You're not going out there with several tillage passes and fertilizer passes or anything else. The other thing that people bring up is the cost of the machine. Yep, I know it's expensive, but if you want something that's going to last and work well, it's going to cost a little bit of money. And keep this in mind, you are now putting your fertilizer on rather than paying somebody else to come over your land, put the fertilizer on, you go work it in and and go from there. So, really, when it's all said and done, I don't think it takes any more time. I think it takes less. And I don't think it costs any more money. I think it costs less if you truly look at all the time and expense you put into everything else. In terms of versus conventional till, the biggest advantage is you save more moisture, but then you also can build soil organic matter faster. In terms of the biggest advantage versus no-till, you're going to have a warmer seed bed and you can get your fertilizer placed deeper. So, Uh, Also, uh, versus no-till, the issue we had is our compaction layers never went away during no-till. Well, I'm not saying you're going to eliminate all compaction layers with strip-till, but at least, like I said earlier, we know there's no compaction down to the bottom of that strip-till. So I like that part. Anyway, I'll just say this because you, you heard me talk all the, these great things about strip-till. You're probably saying, well, boy, why don't you do that on everything? Or you you guys must think strip-till is the only way to go. Look, I don't care if you want a no-till, you want a strip-till, you want a conventional till. You can be successful in any tillage system. Just understand that each one is dramatically different than the others and each one has its own limitations. So Uh, It got mentioned earlier in the show. I think it was uh, Chad Henderson talking about running the machine himself and then running the planter himself. This is one of the things we learned right away. And granted, we have RTK GPS, and so that's nice. But when you're on uh, contours, we have slope on our farm, there's going to be a little bit of drift. So that's one of the things you got to contend with. But You have to have at least a halfway decent operator running this in the fall if you're going to do it in the fall because those are the rows you're going to plant into in the spring with your planter. So just make sure that whoever is running this machine is on the same page as the person running the planter and then you're in pretty good shape. But again, yeah, we don't really care what tillage system you're in. We want to try to help you in any way possible, be successful with whatever you are doing on your farm. But we do really like strip-till. We feel it has many of the benefits of conventional till in a warmer and drier seed bed, as long as being able to place fertilizer deeper. And it's got some of the benefits of no-till, where we we leave a lot of residue out there. We can build soil organic matter relatively quickly, and uh, it's just, it's a nice conservation type of tool. So, uh, and like I said earlier, we've run a whole bunch of machines in the past. Um, lately, we've been running Soil Warrior machines. They're, they're really good and heavy duty. So I, I, I would just tell you, if you have never strip tilled before and you are looking at getting into it, just talk to a couple of farmers in your area that maybe have done it before, and they'll tell you kind of what to watch out for and stuff. But these are the main things that we've learned over the years. Let's jump back to the Ag PhD Mailbag.
0: All right, got a question from Jeff in Minnesota wondering about broadleaf control in his sweet corn. It said, got a couple of options they've put in front of me, aim, or 2,4-D amine
1: Don't with either. the goal
0: of trying to control waterhemp, lambsquarters, and some smartweed.
1: Okay, 2,4-D amine is way too hard on any corn. I would never use it on corn. I will just tell you, when I was a young agronomist 30 years ago, that's about all we had. It was a combination of 2,4-D and dicamba, both hard on corn, and I didn't like it at all. I, we got as many guys switched over to buctrilatrazine as soon as we could, and then when the HBPDs like Callisto came out, we switched to that much better. Uh, so, I also don't like aim. The problem with that is if there's any moisture at all on that plant, uh, then the aim seems to run down into the whorl, and sometimes we can get buggy whipping in the plants. So I don't like that. What I do like is running one of the HPPDs, impact would be my preference in sweet corn, and then I'd throw just a little bit of atrazine with that as well. So that's typically what I'm going to recommend for water hemp, lamb's quarters, and some smartweed.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Got one from Darren, and he is right in the central Kansas-Nebraska border area. He said, get some soils with a potassium base saturation of 2 to 4%. I used your Ag PhD soils app to grid sample and had a neighbor strip till in some of Mosaic's Mez product. And I discussed, since I had a neighbor do that work, I had discussed with him blending in some OO60 with it, but we decided it wouldn't be a good idea due to the chloride in it. So first question, is that chloride going to be an issue in our strip till? No. And then second question, since we didn't put that potash down, wondering if we could fertigate some potassium thiosulfate along with some 28%. Yes. And if so, at what stage should we do it? We're afraid of burning off some blooms.
1: Okay. So let's go back to the chloride thing. Um, I would just say everybody panics about chloride, but chloride itself is not harmful to crops. It becomes harmful to crops when it mixes with something like sodium. So you end up with sodium chloride that is salt. So I'm I'm really not that worried about salt as long as we have good drainage in that field. So as long as the field is well-drained, we're usually fine. And I can just tell you when you're at potassium levels less than 4%, your yield's getting hurt. So you can put all the nitrogen in the world out there and it's not going to solve the problem of lacking K. Here's another thing. A lot of guys will say, well, I'm still getting pretty good yields and I've got 3% base saturation K, so that's, it's not true that I have to have that good K. Look, yield is one component. The other component is standability. And, when you, and, and beyond that, I guess grain quality. So... We need all of those to be successful every year, not just most years, every year. So look at the – well, I, I got a great example. I just took some pictures of this the other day. We had a big wind come through on uh, – let's see, what day was that? Tuesday, Monday, something like that, and Monday. It was Monday night. And anyway, right after that came through, I took pictures of our field right next to – I mean, literally, it's the very next row over, another field – And uh, for the neighbors, they don't have near the amount of K out there. You need K. Otherwise, you have standability issues. So their corn was all lodged. Ours was just fine. Uh, But anyway, getting the K out there later on in the year, uh, I mean, it's still important for every crop later in the year. But I try to be as early as possible. So I'm going to probably tell you the same thing on K as I will on tile. Get it done as soon as you possibly can because it's going to start making you money day one.
0: All right. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's tough. There's so many things that, that you need to be doing out there on the farm, and sometimes it's difficult to know which order to do them in, and certainly you don't have the finances in most cases but to do them you, all at the same time.
1: But but you can put K on with that strip-till. We put on lots, and it works great.
0: Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.